Good morning. It's good to see you all this morning. I'm always thankful and very humbled to get the opportunity to uh, be here. Thankful for our staff uh, for allowing me to do this and to be here. And so we talked about this sermon series about verses that have meant something to you, that have impacted you, that have changed your life. And uh, the verse that we're going to today, uh, this verse that changed my life, is found in Colossians 2, 6. 2, 6. Now, you are going to look at the screen today, and there's probably not going to be a lot of verses. Why? Because I am the one that messed up by not getting stuff in, okay? My bad, not our staff, not our volunteers. It's my bad. So I want you to know there's this thing called a Bible. If you have it, you may want to open it. It actually can be found. You can possess it personally, walk it around with you on a device or in paperback. Uh, you can even find it in parchment if you want to go back a while back and everything. I'm just joking. All right. So as we look at this verse today, it says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. When I came to... Um, Growing up as a child, um, I had a lot of fear in my life. Uh, my parents were going through a divorce when I was probably about four years old, and I had a tremendous amount of fear uh, at that point in time. I just didn't under understand everything that was going on. And so I grew up uh, with all this fear. And so I remember uh, as I got a little bit older, I remember going to talk with my pastor because I had all these fears and my mom was like, well, why don't we go talk to the pastor? And so we, we, talked, to, uh, we talked to the pastor and uh, he began to, to share with me about Jesus. I told him all my fears and he shared with me about Jesus Christ. And I don't know if it was that Sunday or a few Sundays afterwards, but I was in service and it was coming towards the end, and I was like, we got to get this over with, okay? It's lunchtime, and Godzilla is on, okay? That's what I want to do. I'm already going to get home at 1230. I'm already going to miss 30 minutes of Godzilla. we got to get this over with. That's what I was thinking. And I had gone into my mind, and I found myself walking down the aisle, standing in front of the pastor. And he goes, we had had this conversation, so he's like going, you've come to receive Christ. I didn't know why I was down there. I don't even know why I walked. And so I was like, I didn't know. And so here I am. And so he introduces me to everybody and we talk about it, you know. And, and so then I get baptized. And the next four years of my life was just absolute doubt and fear. Because I was like, why did I go down there? Did I say the prayer right? Did I, I said the prayer, but did I say it with the right words? Did I, did I do this? What did I do? I feel like I'm getting this wrong. I feel like I'm messing everything up. And I had all these doubts about salvation. I remember going to church camp and, and I remember talking the entire time uh, to the different counselors that were there and was very thankful to be able to talk with them. But I spent the next four years, whether I be at home or whether I was at church camp or whatever, Constantly having these questions, constantly having these doubts, constantly going through this, it was miserable, absolutely miserable. And one day, I was on my bed with my Bible, and I don't remember how old I was. I remember Tommy and I had talked about this when I first got here, and Tommy and I have known each other way through through elementary school. We've we've grown up together and. Um, and we were talking about this, and I had said about when I was about 17, Tommy's like, I think you were, 
younger Sean that you knew Christ then. Like I, and I was like, I appreciated Tommy bringing that up because it really made me go back and, and think about things. But I do remember being on my bed and I remember when my Bible opened, I just cried out to God. I was like, I don't know what to do. I have prayed the prayer a thousand times. I have done this. I have tried to do this. I've done, I don't know what else to do. And God revealed himself to me in that moment. I've never audibly heard God. If you have, praise God, I do know when he talks with me. I do know when he communicates. And it was in that moment, through the scripture and through that moment, where God was like, trust me. Trust me. It wasn't about what I had done, it's about what he had done. That his character, his intentions, his life, the life of Jesus Christ, his death, his resurrection, was more than enough to take care of anything that I needed and just to trust him. What he said, what he's done. In that moment, I remember I said, Jesus, I just trust you. I trust in what you've done. I trust that, that you who are you who, take two. You are who you say that you are. I believe it. And I give my life to alter it. And however you want to use me, I surrender and submit. I repent of my ways and I grab a hold of you. And that's it. That's all that I knew. And in that moment, I had a peace like I'd never felt before in my entire life. And have never had that struggle by the grace of God ever again. There was a peace that passes understanding that came over me. And I had such a joy. And I remember it just happened to be that our church was having the most boring revival it had ever been in its entire life. And I remember going to that revival that night and I remember being in that revival and I was like going, this dude is boring, like boring. But I'm gonna share with you right now, church, and I wanna share this with you in all love. It ain't about the person, it's about the word of God. You need to get over your preference. If the word is being preached and being divided correctly, that's all that matters. If you're bored, it's because you're caught up in your own preferences instead of what God is doing. That night, that man was being obedient and preaching the word of God correctly and divinely. And it hit me powerfully, but I had already experienced God and received him. But I went forward, I went to my pastor and I said, pastor, I said, I'm giving my life to the Lord Jesus Christ and I need to be baptized. And my pastor was like going, now, Sean, we don't believe in rebaptism. And I remember saying this to him. I was like going, I don't either, pastor. I got wet the first time. I didn't trust Jesus. I've given my life to Christ and I'm trying to be obedient to do exactly what I'm supposed to do. This isn't about that I had a, 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 a rededication. I didn't know Jesus at that point. And I know him now and I want to be obedient to get baptized. And God used that moment in my life. And God used that moment for other people in their lives. Because there were people at that revival, I remember, and not because of me, but because of God, when he tells us to trust him and be obedient, there were people that began to, there was a couple of people that came out later on, they were like going, I've been so scared the entire time. Not to, and here, here's this young man who's come out here to just be honest about what's going on. And God used that for his glory, not for mine. Trusting Jesus. Our God is relational, amen? I'm thankful that our God is relational. He invites us to trust him and to be in this relationship with him. Now, 
Fast forward. Fast forward. A little while ago, it's not within this church and it's not within anything else. Can we get that? It's not about you, okay? Right? It's not about you. So this is not of a passive-aggressive attempt pointing the finger at anybody. This has nothing to do with any of y'all in here. I had a conflict with the brother in Christ. I had messed up. I messed up. That person was very angry with me. So I went to them and I apologized because I was like, I'm wrong. I have handled this. I didn't, I didn't mean to do it, but I still was wrong and I handled it incorrectly. Will you please forgive me? And after I did that, they put the smack down harder. They were like, I don't care if you apologized. I'd never have done that in my entire life. Can't believe you would do something like that. I've never done that in my entire life. The fact that you would do that, I'm so offended. So I went again, and I was like, you have every right to be upset. I get it. I was wrong. I really am sorry, and I do apologize for you. I apologize to you, not for you, to you. And they did it again. Just came straight at me with this really condescending moment And they had a right to be angry. And so in my flesh, I was like, I didn't say this to him, but I was like this. Because I have this tendency in my flesh. I don't need you. We're done. We're done. That's my wall. We're done. I've done what I'm supposed to do, Jesus. So they're in the wrong now. So I'm going to write them off. Because I am going to just love people and do my thing in Christ. And I don't need you to love Jesus. And so I'm done with you. And I was going to write them off. I was going to just totally avoid them. But I was always, you know, but you're going to be friendly. So good to see you. So good to you. That's how you do. (laughs) Yeah, that, that, that fake Christianity. But God got a hold of me. God really dealt with me. He's like, forgive in the way that I've forgiven you. Ephesians 4.32, because of God's love and his grace and kindness to me, I am called to forgive others. I'm called to forgive others. Now, I know that I can't make everybody and fix everything, but I know this. I know that to the best of my ability, I'm called to love people the way that Christ has loved me. And so I went back realizing that I'm not going to let you necessarily walk all over me and trample me, but I'm also, I don't get to say I'm out. So I'm going to try to love you because I'm sick of the way the church, because I'm part of the church, how we just kind of pick and choose our things. And we just, we just and I'm, I look at this and I'm like, I'm so sick of how the church keeps talking about how Jesus has changed our lives. And then we look just like the world. And so in faith, I went back and I said, Maybe at some point in time we can reconcile this. I just do, I want you to know, I really am sorry. If there's something I can do to make it right, I want you to know that I love you. And you have a right to be upset. I stepped out in faith in that moment because that's what I believe this Bible says. In right context, as our pastor had gone back with his sermon. And you know, 
by that one, that specific one at that time, God broke down that barrier to actually reconcile that relationship, that we actually have a better relationship. Not because of what I've done, not because of what they've done, but because of what Jesus and who he is and what he does. Faith, the same way that I came to Christ was just trusting him is the same way I continue on is trusting him. Church, the same way you came to Christ, if you're in Christ, I'm not going to make any assumptions. You came to Christ by trusting him, amen? I'm going to share with you right now. The same way you continue on is as you read this book and you look at things that you don't like. How many of y'all have read this book and you don't like things in it? Good. Some of you being honest, that's close to revival. The rest of you sit there and say, oh, no, I agree with everything. You're a liar. I mean, if Jonah is in there arguing about it and wants to, he doesn't want to do it, and the apostles are arguing over stuff, there ain't no way that we're going to be able to figure this out. There are things in here that I do not like, but I trust the God who's written this book, and so thus I begin to say, God, your will, not mine. Help me to conform to who you are and what you want to do. That's faith. I trust you, and I conform my life to you. What are we supposed to have faith? What are we supposed to trust? Think about this. One... We're supposed to trust his character, who God is, his character. He is not a lying God. He is honest. He is holy. He is perfect. He is loving. I trust his character. Two, his intentions. I trust his intentions towards me, that he loves me. Can I share with you a story No one ever says, no, just move on. You know what? So I'm going to take advantage of it, right? So I'm going to share a story about an immature moment in my marriage, just one out of a billion, okay? But I remember when my wife and I were first married, and I love my wife. I love my bride. She is my best friend. She is my bride. And if God allows us to, we'll be married for 24 years this year. And so I love being around my bride. And I remember when we first got married, that we would, I mean, and we still do, but when we would pick at each other, we would pick and we'd make fun and we'd laugh and, and I would sit there and I'd make fun of her about something, nothing that was ugly, nothing that was mean, things that we had kind of, you know, and so I would pick at her and I'd laugh and she'd go, ha, 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 and I'd go, ha, 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 you know, and do that. And then my wife would sit there and do this, she'd sit there and then she would make fun of me and she'd go, ha, 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 and I'd go, I can't believe you would say that. I would pout, I'd be frustrated, and I would say this, she is mad about something. That's why she said it. She is trying to make a point by making fun of me, and she won't tell me the truth, so she's just going to, right? That's what I was, and I lived that way in our marriage, probably for honestly, honestly, for the first 15 years of our marriage. We would be able to joke, we'd be able to joke, and then all of a sudden she would joke, and I'd be like, and then it hit me. One day, my wife is not passive aggressive. She tells me exactly what she thinks. She lets me know I don't have to worry about her intentions. She does not play games. She does not play games with me. Like if there's something going on, she tells me. I don't have to guess, she lets me know. Whether that be good or bad, that's my bride. I'm very thankful for her. But I want you to know that that lens changed for me because I used to look at through the lens and I was like going, She's after me. She's passive aggressive. She's mad at me. She's trying to get at me. That's why she's doing what she says. And then God revealed something to me and it just made sense. I didn't trust her intentions when she joked with me. 
Now, again, there would be things I'm like going, honey, there are certain things we neither one of us need to joke about. It's too sensitive. Let's not joke about certain things, right? There's certain things like I can make jokes about with Dana about certain things. I will never make jokes about her being a mom ever. That's too sensitive to get around, right? I'd never sit there and go, I tell you what, our kids look cruddy because of you. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> never make jokes about that. But there are things that when I realized this, I could trust her intentions that when we were joking, we were joking. Now, I didn't have to doubt that. Church, do you trust God's intentions towards you that he loves you? That he is doing something in your life for his glory, but for your benefit. Because when you don't trust his intentions, that becomes an affront to God. This bad thing's happening. He must not love me. Do you not trust his intentions? His character, his intentions, his word. His commands, his promises. God is inviting us to trust him. I want you, if you have your Bibles, to go with me really quick to Genesis chapter 3. This is where we see humanity's first sin. Here God has made everything and here he's made Adam. In chapter 2, verse 15... And then we'll go to chapter 3, 1 through 7. But chapter 2, verse 15. I listened to the rustling pages. I love to hear that sound. That's a good sound. Chapter 2, verse 15 of Genesis. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden... But of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in that day you eat of it, you will surely die. Pretty straightforward, right? Go to chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any of the tree in the garden? Did God actually say? Right now, can you trust God's character? Because he really doesn't say what he says. It's really cloaked. Not parable form like Jesus says, but no, you can't trust God's character. Did he really say that? You shall not eat of any of the tree of the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Did God say anything about touching it? But what's Eve do? She adds to God's words. Can't trust his intentions. Like we have to, we know better than God. We need to add to God's word. And why is Adam just sitting there going like this? I mean, he's there because she hands him a piece of fruit later. So he's just sitting there going, Isn't it interesting that you and I find reasons to why the word of God doesn't apply to us and why we're the exception to the rule? 
Don't you find it interesting that we find reasons of why we're not called to love people because we don't like them and it's the exception to the rule? Have you ever found it interesting that we really don't really need to, um, I don't know, visit people in prison because I don't really have the time and I do other things to do this? Have you ever found that we make exceptions to the rule of why we don't have to be obedient to the things that God commands us to do? Like, especially with, you know, going to church. I mean, as long as I get my relationship with God, it's, it's my walk with God. I don't have to, but God calls us not to forsake the fellowship, right? God calls us to love one another. God calls us, think about all the different commands that you and I find reasons that God's inviting us to in relationship to trust and to follow him. And while we say that we're the exception, and we really don't have to do those things. Anybody here make exceptions to God's word? Okay, I'm the only one. I guess I'll repent today. Do you? Here it is, Eve, adding to God's word. The Bible tells us, do not add nor take away. Why? I don't have to add because God says what he means and he doesn't need our help to enforce his laws. He's inviting us to it. He means exactly what he says. Why do we not take it away? Because you don't know better than God. He knows exactly what's going on and he's told us these things. He's inviting us to trust him. Verse four, but the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Again, they don't trust God's intentions. They think that they're keeping something, God is keeping something from them and that they, if they will engage in this act, they will actually reap the benefits, but they reaped death when they didn't listen to God. Faith, this relational moment with God's commands and the things he's telling us is to trust him we are invited into this relationship, not only of salvation, but also in continuing on in this walk with God. Everything is about faith and trusting him. Church, listens to Hebrews eleven six. Oh, and by the way, just to wrap that up, when they ate of it, what happened? That she gave some to her husband, then the eyes of both of them were open. They knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Did they die? You and I don't understand. We keep thinking, well, death means dead. Like, oh. no, they died right then and there. The physical death was going to come later. But the deadness that had come about them, that happened. And then the process of dying. That's the reason I always, when I look at the scriptures and I see people living for, for people of hundreds of years, and they're kind of like going, well, I just, you can't do that. I want you to know when you take an orange, you set it out there and it's fresh. What happens as you watch that orange if you don't eat it? What happens? Does it sit there and shrivel up really quick? It rottens, right. I like that. That's good. Is that what you said? It rottens? I love it. It rottens. Our kids know to speak up. Feel just like us, just like watching the Old Testament. Here they had this perfection, and later on, here it is, you're watching death come over, and it's taking the toll on them later and later, oh, more and more. 
and the spiritual death that takes place. Listen to Hebrews eleven six. 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Listen to this. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. We think at times the way to please God is to be moral. And morality is an important thing that God calls us to. But the reason that he calls it by faith is because it's relational. People that try to be moral away from God, it's really kind of self-righteous. I'm better than you. See, look, I don't do certain things. But in faith, when I'm being moral, I'm saying, God, I am a sinner. I am broken. I am nasty. And Lord, the reason why I do these things is because you have had mercy and grace on me. And so with everything with you within me, I take these steps forward to love and to do and to take on these moral things because you love me. And I want to show that I love you. Not perfect, but Lord, I do this out of faith. But moral people that when it's not about faith, it's just self-righteousness. See, I don't do things like this like you do. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. If you are looking to please God because your moral superiority or somehow you don't do certain things, that's not how you please God. It's by faith. Lord, I do the things because you say them and I believe them and thus I submit and I follow you. If you tell me not to do something, I do it because you've said so unto your glory. Without faith, where, what does your life look like when it comes to faith right now? Did you come to church in faith today? Or did you do it because it's habit? Oh, we don't want to talk about that one, right? How many of you showed up today and you were like going, I really, honestly, would rather have not been here today? Anybody think that? Some of you are lying today. How many of you ever had a Sunday like that? Church, the reason I come is not to get spiritually fed. The reason I come is because, God, I'm going to meet you here today. And I'm going to love my brothers and sisters. I'm showing up today because I know that you will meet with me. And it's about your glory. But if you do it out of habit, it's not out of faith. And I'm going to tell you, God's not pleased when we do things out of just rote memory. Wives, how many of you like it when you just have the habit of taking care of your family and there's no appreciation. How many of y'all love that? Right? God invites us into trusting him all the time and to say, will you trust me when I give these commands? Will, he's inviting us into this relationship. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Church, if you've come to Christ, you put faith in the Lord Jesus Christ in his death and resurrection. How many of y'all have seen heaven? How many of y'all believe you're headed there? Why? You haven't seen it. Why do you believe you're going there? Because what? Because he says. He's not a liar. He told me. Thus I trust him. I move my life in a way that says, Lord, I trust you. And it's not blind faith. 
It's based upon things that I understand of where I've seen God and where I've seen, but there's still a gap. I'm always gonna have to take a leap of faith. Some people take it from here, some people take it from here. There's still a leap of faith. If you're not taking a leap of faith when it comes to following God of what he says, you don't have Christianity because you cannot come to God except through faith. It's impossible. It's impossible. Think about this also. In Christ, I've been given promises. I know that I'm a filthy sinner. You're a filthy sinner. You are an enemy of God. That's what scripture says, does it not? You are an enemy of God. Yet, in Christ, here I stand in Adam, and I am in death, and I am headed to hell. But when I stand in Christ, I have been forgiven, and I am a new creation. In here, I am promised death, hell, and the wrath of God. In here, in Christ, I have been given forgiveness, righteousness, not of my own, but of his that's been given to me. You are a sinner just like I am, but if in Christ you are also a child of God and you're forgiven. In Christ you are a saint. Not because I said so, because this is what the Bible says. What is a saint? Someone set apart, holy for God's purposes. Did you know that you're a saint? How many of y'all knew you were a saint? And maybe new news to some of you is like going, Sean, quit making me do calisthenics right now. I'm done raising my hands. I'm done answering questions, okay? I get it. I understand. How many know that you are righteous? Not your righteousness, his that's been placed upon you in Christ, if you're in Christ. How many of you know right now that you're adopted? Like, here's the crazy thing about God. God is relational. He didn't just save us. He also looked at us and said, you're an enemy. But I'm going to die for you before you ever said you were sorry. I'm going to shed my blood and, for the, when, and raise from the dead. And for when you place faith in me, not only are you forgiven, but I'm going to make you my child. How many people know of enemies to adopt them as family? It happens. But it's a foreign concept. You are loved. Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You are forgiven. Ephesians 1, 7, and 8, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We are adopted, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Over and over again, the Bible tells us of our identity of who we are. And our identity is not based on what we have done, it's based on what he has done. And I step into a relationship with him. And begin to say, God, if you call me a son, then I am a son. And thus, I begin to walk in faith and trust. If you say that I'm forgiven, Lord, I know that the enemy in my own conscience tells me I'm a failure. I know that the enemy in my own conscience tells me that I'm a horrible, wretched, miserable person. But Lord, you tell me in Christ that I am forgiven and that I am loved.
If you keep walking around like this, I'm just a wretched sinner. You are a sinner. You are wretched. But in Christ, you're adopted and you're a son. There's this weird tension that we have to learn to balance and walk in Christ. We're equipped to minister to others. The Bible tells us that. You say, I don't have any ways of doing that. Then you're telling God he's a liar. You're called and equipped to minister to this world, not only to the body of believers in this body and in Christianity throughout in Christendom, but also to minister to this lost and dying world. And if you are in Christ, the Holy Spirit who dwells within you has empowered you to go and do this. But if you keep looking and saying, I have nothing to offer, why are you looking at yourself instead of at him? Why are you looking at yourself instead of what God has said? Why are you trusting your actions instead of God's intentions, his actions, his promises? I want to wrap up with this. This may be something that we don't like, but again, it's those things in the Bible that we don't like and I think reminds us of who we're called to trust. Hebrews 12, 2. Looking to Jesus, founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let me read this to you again. Hebrews 12, 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Who's the founder and perfecter of our faith? Not me. Jesus Christ is. God is. Jesus Christ is. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him. Did, did I read that right? The joy that was set before him endured the cross. Does that sound like uh, an oxymoron? Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. For the joy, the cross, there was joy. It didn't look like it. What was the joy? To be able to be obedient to the Father, knowing that the Father's intentions, that this relationship that the triune God has had forever, even though that Christ, who has existed forever, has now taken on human flesh, still, as he was tempted to not trust, trusted the Father. And so whatever the Father said, for the joy endured the cross. found the joy in going through the suffering and the pain because the, the character, the intentions, and the promises and the commands of God were well worth it to follow. James 1, 2 through 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, 
and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. I just want you to know that I know that I'm a whiner. In my flesh, I'm a whiner. I hate struggling. I hate suffering. I hate it when it looks like things are not coming together. I'm really good at whining. But there is nothing that my Jesus has not invited me into that doesn't say, trust me. When he lays out commands and tells me to follow him, he is telling you, you can trust my character, my intentions, and my word, and my promises, and my commands. I'm inviting you to put me, to trust me. Because I promise you, I will not let you down. But when I suffer, I have this tendency to go, where's God? Woe is me. This is bad. How am I going to make it? I don't know. Why is everybody not like me? Where's everybody at? I can't believe this. Uh, mm, uh." I have a feeling that there are some of you that are like that also today. Because you look at this world only through your lens of whether I feel good or whether I'm happy instead of the trust of God that says this, Lord, this circumstance, we'll put it on two different levels. Again, if you're sinning, that's not a trial. That's you being disobedient. Repent, confess, turn, and follow God. His grace can still work through that, amen? But that's not a trial. That's you being disobedient. Repent, confess, turn, and follow God. The church, I'm going to share with you. There are some things that God puts on you. I can't believe this thing's falling off again. There are some things that God is allowing you to go through that if you would quit whining and start going, God, I know you're at work and doing something here. I can trust you. I know that what you are doing is for your glory and it's somehow going to be for my benefit. So God, I'm going to trust you. Because the suffering that you're going through may be a witness to a lost person that's going, how do they go through that? Why do they seem to have this peace or this joy? And that gives you the opportunity to say this, oh, that's because of my Jesus. The suffering that you're going through, the trial that you're going through, and it's like going, there seems to be no end. It's only darkness. I don't need to say, God, where are you? I need to say this, God, I don't feel you and I don't see you, but my feelings and my sight have nothing to do with my faith. You are there. And you have me right in your hand and I can trust you. God is inviting you in the same way that you came to Christ, if you're in Christ. There are many of you that came to Christ, you have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ the same way you came to Christ is the same way you continue through faith. Every single moment is about trusting this relational God who says, come follow me. God, do you want me to step out on the water? No. Then don't step out on the water. God, I'm going to show you I can do it. You're going to sink right to the bottom. God, do you want me to step out on the water? Yes. Then get to stepping. Why? Because you can trust him. I'm going to ask you this morning. One, if you don't have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, 
Maybe you don't know enough about who he is or what he's done. But he is inviting you to trust him in a relationship today, not just to get you to heaven, but in a time from this moment that goes forward about transforming and changing your life of knowing this God who loves you and cares for you. He has done that by sending Jesus Christ, God in flesh, to come upon this earth who knew no sin, tempted in every way that you and I are, but that his life without sin, being the perfect sacrifice. Why? Because God demands payment for our sin. It's not for you to say, I'm sorry, my bad, I won't do it again. No, your sin demands a payment. That payment is death because sin is that serious. But God chose to substitute and be Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ that there's a substitution that we don't have to go through this wrath of God that Jesus has taken it, he has shed his blood to pay for our sins and that whoever puts faith in his death, his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, I've covered all of them, that you can be a new creation adopted by God to be in relationship. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus today that you would come and talk to our pastoral staff or that some of you today, I guarantee you, I'm gonna encourage you to do this. If you don't know Jesus and you're like, I don't wanna to talk to the pastors. They seem like they're, you know, I can't approach them. You can approach them, I promise. But I'll even challenge you this. There's somebody next to you that you know that you need to say, hey, I've had this curious. I need to know Jesus. Would you tell me about Jesus? By the way, if you're that person that's gonna get asked by a friend, get prepared. You better be ready. Have some faith because you need to be sharing the gospel. Amen. Two, if you don't know Jesus, that you come to know Jesus Christ today. Two, if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, where is your faith? What does it look like right now? Are you going through the motions of life? Or are you actually engaged in faith of trusting God and the things he's called you to do? There are some things that the Holy Spirit is leading you to do right now. For some reason, you keep making excuses. There are things that the Holy Spirit has been convicting you and moving in your life because he loves you. And for some reason, you keep saying no. You keep saying that I'm the exception to the rule. You keep saying, God, really, that every excuse in the book, today he's inviting you as he has been. Would you step out and follow him in faith? And the last one is this. The Bible tells us to love God and to love others. It's the greatest commandment. Amen? If you have something against somebody here today, I really want to encourage you to the best of your ability to make it right. Why? Because you are an enemy of God and he chose to love you, not because of your merit or anything about you, it's because of who he is. And he lavished this great love upon you because he loves you. And in the same way that we have received this love, we are called because Christ lives within us, the Holy Spirit lives in us, we're called by faith to reach out and to love others the way that Christ has loved us. True or false? I may be wrong, 
but God's allowed me to still preach at different places and different churches. I don't understand why. And that may be coming to an end at some point. Almost every church that I have walked into, there are people that have grudges or issues. Where's the faith of making things right with brothers and sisters in Christ? I'll tell you the biggest failure of COVID, in my opinion, biggest failure wasn't whether shut it down to love on people and keep people safe. Open it up is what we're called to do. It was the fact that we didn't love one another and it's had repercussions because people looked at the church being torn apart and they're like going, yet again, another example of like going, those people can't get along. I'm better than them. I love my neighbors. I was doing stuff in this way. We failed. We failed. Because we only looked at it through our lens. And there's still people, churches that I'm at that still, whether they're gone or left or whatever it is, they still have this big, huge grudge. I'm just using that as an example. Make things right. Why? Because Jesus loves you. And you have no reason not to make it right with another brother or sister in Christ to the best of your ability. He's inviting you because he is a God that invites you to trust him and to walk with him. And I'll even say this, if I've wronged you, you need to let me know when I'm sorry. Why? Because we can't do it unless we sharpen one another and move each other. We're in this together, moving towards Christ. That's who we're called to be. Let's pray. Fathers, we come before you. Lord, you've spoken all week, all month, for years to your people, long before any sermon was ever brought up. Father, I pray today that for those that do not know you, they would come to know you. They would surrender and give their life to you. Father, for those that know you, Father, that again, that we quit going through moments. We would quit going through habits and Lord, we would engage you in faith and the things you command us to trust you that you're inviting us to follow these commands that we would be obedient and live it out. Lord, I pray that you would reconcile relationships within the body that need to be reconciled. Lord, that we would actually look like the way your scripture tells us to look. We thank you for who you are. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray and all God's people said. Amen.